0: Hi, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi. Um, and also today, I have Liz Nolasco on the show. Hello. And Rixa Evershed is on the show again.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Back for her second her second appearance. Or third, depending on how we order the two that we're recording today. Oh. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about uh, surprising no one. We're going to talk about play today and maybe get into a little bit of um conversation about how how the idea of play is becoming sort of contested and controversial in some um some conversations so we'll start with this quote which is i think this is from denisha jones right this quote you sent me yeah um so denisha says joy engagement and reflection are the keys to liberation for both children and teachers through the freedom to take risks, knowing they are loved, the children are liberated from deficit orientations and adult-imposed limitations on what play should look like. While liberated, they exhibit a type of confidence that only develops through freedom and love. Um, so, Rixa, so will you give me the contact? Give us the context for where that quote came from.
1: So, uh, about a well, it's been two months now. Uh, back in July. Uh, I attended the um, Human Restoration Projects Conference, um, which is really a a group of people who are looking to uh, reframe what education looks like um, and bring joy back into the classroom and really center the experiences of black and brown children, um, returning the idea of humanity and children coming into spaces with their own story, their own context, their own um abilities and um kind of taking taking away a deficit mindset. And Denisha presented there um and she talked a, a lot about Angie play while she was there, uh, which I find just fascinating yeah. because of the way they view the child as so capable. And my experience with that idea aligns mm-hmm. with children as capable, children as problem solvers and innovators, and not really needing grown adults in their space. Mm-hmm. Um, that they they have the capability to drive their own learning. So. Yeah, that's where, that's where she <laughs> said it. And I was just, I took a screenshot right there and I now have it on the wall in my office because I was like, it it just, it like was a a gut punch of like, mm-hmm. yes, yes, this is, yeah. this is it. This is what I see every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really beautifully set. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, it really is, is great. Um, uh, did you have anything you want to add in terms of initial response, Liz, to this uh, this quote, or?
2: Oh, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I guess I was just so taken by the link between freedom and love and how the two can and should and need to coexist to mm-hmm. provide this healthy environment for children.
0: Yeah. Um, so I feel like, so our other topic that the three of us are going to record about today is the image of the child, and I feel like it's going to spill into this conversation a lot, too, um but i what i what what i really locked onto is for one the word joy and there's an article from bev boz that was written in like 1994 that i still use a lot called joy in early childhood programs and like the first sentence is joy is not a word you hear a lot in you know in discussion of of early childhood or something like that and then she she move, goes on to talk about how all children deserve a hallelujah kind of childhood um and i i use it a lot because it's um you know so many people come into the work or have developed habits while in the work of of you know doing early childhood education however you want to phrase that with um with this idea of order equaling success as a teacher and um uh, children as, as little sort of walking deficits. And that's why it's such a beautiful thing to be able to be a teacher because I can take those little deficits and I can turn them into something useful. Um, you know, obviously that's not their, their, what they're saying out loud <laughs> anyway, but a lot of the, the phrases that we, that we use and the, the classroom management, quote unquote techniques that we see come from that. And now it's really, um, impacting play. Like now play has become something that we're talking about um, and arguing about who should be in control and um, and and what kind of, um, you know, how do we how do we balance this need for learning that we see or we say we see or we've arbitrarily decided, with the idea of play and one of the things I love about Angie play is that it's elementary school right like it is older preschoolers but it's also elementary school so to say well okay but once they turn this certain age it needs to be guided by the adults or um it's it sort of doesn't fit for me
2: right I think this idea of play being like you said co-opted as and just this idea of the right kind of play and mm-hmm. the wrong kind of play is just so antithetical to sorry i guess
0: i'm diving right into the image of the child
2: it's so antithetical <laughs> to the way i this think will be
0: the second episode that i air then we'll make sure, sure we air the image before <laughs>
2: yeah. okay good it's just antithetical to the way i think many play people originally thought about play and children and how it should look in any kind of environment Mm that there's not a wrong way to play. There's not a, there are skills involved in play, play is important to build those skills, but there's no need for teaching how to play, teaching play.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of where I wanted to go uh, first. And I know we've got a couple other directions we talked about going, but um, this idea that some children just don't know how to play. And I hear that a lot. I see it on social media. Um, and it's, you know, this hand wringing, pearl clutching children today, they just don't know how to play. Um, so they need our guidance and they need our control. And um, it's another way that they're <laughs> they are deficits. They can't even play now without us uh, stepping in.
1: That's so interesting. Uh, school has started. Um, Liz, I work in an independent school in in the Pacific Northwest. Um, we have two and a half to five year olds. And um, I have literally heard that very line out of some of uh, one of the four year old teachers as their first year of teaching. And I wonder if it's more of more of a case of being worried that you're not doing your job
2: mm-hmm.
1: if you don't bring if you don't bring all the things all the materials all the experiences if it doesn't all line up um then it is about a children's a child's ability to play because mm-hmm. we know children know how to play
2: mm-hmm.
1: But I've heard that line, too, so so many times is that they don't know how to play. And so I, I, I'm wondering about a, a dual route to that, perhaps, is, yes, they know how to play. They just have different cultural and community experiences. And as teachers, and I know, Heather, you do college, you teach at a college level. And I'm seeing teachers who come out with this expectation that they teach. Mm-hmm. you know, and trying to reframe that into being a facilitator instead of a, a teacher. I don't know. It's just something I'm thinking of. And I'm, I'm also thinking, goodness, if, if this teacher listens to this, she's going to think I'm not, I don't think she can (laughs) do a job, right? And so, um, and it's not that at all. It's, it's that, that kind of that gut clench of like, oh God, my classroom doesn't feel like it's working, you know? And so I, I just, I wish that I could reassure her that this is part of your learning process too. Well, and, and so many times that the real,
0: I think what I see the real issue is that um, uh, because of the training teachers have gotten and the messages they've gotten that everything has to fit a goal or head us toward a standard then our, yeah. sta- then our goals for play are different. And that's why it looks like children don't know how to play because their goals are very different than our goals. Um, and one of the things I love is that because we know that development in early childhood is interrelated and there's never, well, I'm just doing cognitive time now. And then in a half hour, I'll do my social time. And then another half hour, I'll do my language learning time. Um, it's all interrelated. And it's all getting practiced in play if we know what to look for and we know that that's okay like i think we also have to say um and it's okay that um the child's goal is different i still have a role to play i'm setting the stage i'm watching what's happening i you know i can ask some non-intrusive expansive kinds of questions um Add new materials for tomorrow based on what I've seen. Um, I can take a picture of it and put it on the bulletin board and explain the math that's happening or could be happening. I don't presume to know what's exactly happening. Um, But it's just those goals are different so often. And the pressure that the adults all feel to make everything, quote, unquote, matter Mm -hmm. that causes so much stress. Okay, I was just <laughs> pausing to see if anyone's going to talk. I listen to, I don't ever listen to the podcast really after I've recorded it and sent it off, but I listened to one this week and realized how often I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. So I'm trying really hard not to do that. And that's what led to that long pause. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it, just, it raises me, it, it floats up for me. And yes, everybody, especially on Zoom, you pause to wait to see if anybody else to talk. Everybody's <laughs> waiting for somebody else to talk. But what I was thinking of is, like, the definition of the role of teacher is that you impart information onto other people, right? Like, I don't I don't know if that's exactly what the dictionary says, but. Um, I would guess that's our collective cultural
0: definition, whether that's what the dictionary says or not. I would guess that's pretty accurate.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And in play, it's self-initiated and self-directed. Mm-hmm and it's chosen by the child so they don't need information from the adult in the space they they have the information they already need they're they're figuring out what other information they might want and how that fits into whatever it is that they're doing mm-hmm. and even if it is not created like if the child is taking the gray lego blocks that you might have set out on a table to be a a structural building and instead filling a bucket with them for <laughs> cooking in the dramatic play center um that child has a goal in mind that mm-hmm. child has something that they're wanting to use that material for and if it doesn't align with what our thought process was I'm wondering about, do we we then need to step back and kind of observe instead mm-hmm. of step forward and say, oh, no, 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 those are for the Lego table. You can't take those to dramatic play, mm-hmm. right? And so instead, taking that step back and saying, huh, I wonder what they're going to do with that. I wonder how that figures into what they're doing mm-hmm. and trusting that they have an end goal that's valuable to them right and how scary it is to
2: actually trust preschoolers for the first (laughs) time or the first month or the first year yeah Yeah. after coming out of a teacher training program that says well you're the adult you set the curriculum you set what they're going to be doing Mm -hmm. and having that moment of watching them take those blocks to go from the building to making soup is terrifying
0: which exactly going back to what you said am I doing my job if I'm (laughs) trusting (laughs) them yep yep and was my degree worth it if I'm now not in control (laughs) right comes up a lot too um oh shoot someone say something because I forgot what I was just gonna say
1: well I was just thinking like that whole idea Liz that you just shared of of letting go and trusting the child that also really takes practice and it takes intentionality from oh. our perspective, mm-hmm. not not just as um, teachers, but also as adult humans in a space because we know that there are things that could go wrong in any particular given play scenario. Some of those may result in a child getting mildly hurt or upset or any of those things. And so we... <laughs> I've been known to be like, Oh, wait, whoa, be careful. Like, and having to learn like a new script and, and to learn that it's okay if I take a step back and have that pause. When I was an infant toddler teacher, I taught in an infant toddler classroom. And this is really where I began exploring this idea of trusting the child. Um, because I would, you know, you've just changed 10 diapers. You need a break because you're dripping (laughs) small. Like, so you go and you sit down and it was in that space of that sit down, which would sometimes be just like five minutes. You might have one or two of them come up to you and want to snuggle or whatever, but to sit and watch the work that they were doing, it, it really started to reframe my practice. And I thought, if this is what I see infants and toddlers doing, like that just builds. Mm -hmm. through their preschool years into their young elementary years and we had a a little one I think I might have told this story last time but it it was profound to me from the perspective of learning to trust children we had dirt hills on all of our playgrounds and in the summertime because we were in Alaska we only had like three months you know where you could really use water um, (laughs) outside without it turning into ice and so on and so forth but we had these big dirt hills. We had Tonka trucks, you know, all the kind of cool stuff. We also had shovels, but we also put sticks and rocks and all this kind of stuff. And from the time he was about um, 12 months to the time he was five, he played on the dirt hills like all summer long. And it was just a journey to watch his skill develop through five summers of Moving from just watching the water run down the hill or stepping in it and letting it run over his feet or whatever to making the water um, go where he wanted it to, making it puddle where he needed it to, creating space for like houses and all this stuff. And it got really sophisticated and he would bring in his, his friends and they would do these different things and they would have these conversations about, well, if we made the water here, then we could do this over here and it needed zero adult help Mm -hmm. it and the things that they were learning i mean he he was doing civil engineering yeah and the things that he was
0: showing you he knew you know like there's that things that he's learning or maybe practicing but then there's also that i can see what he knows i can see what he already is competent about and and with um and i feel like that's one of the things that we miss when we um when we feel like we need to be sort of in control of everything. And I, so Tiffany is really good at helping me remember this because I tend to get all excited about um uh in my criticism of guided play or whatever, but there are times when children do want to learn something new that requires you to do a little direct instruction with them, you know, whether it's a specific um I mean, in in one of the stories she tells, it was like even a craft that she didn't have a craft area set up, but this little girl wanted to do it. And so following her lead, Tiffany was able to help her with that or like tying shoes or those kinds of things. When the child tells you, I want to learn more about this, they do need our direct instruction. Um, But it's about, I think in those situations, it's still the child's goal that we're thinking about. And that guides us to make that switch to, okay, I will take a little bit more of a direct role here.
1: And it's at their request. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the difference is that I don't have I'm not tied to an outcome of you're going to learn how to tie your shoes today. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I
2: wonder something that's not mentioned here, but I think has to be implicit if we're talking about the role of play. I'm sorry. I'm taking a little bit of a hard left here. So feel free to course that's correct me. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, the role of, freedom, liberation for children and teachers, it leaves out the families. Uh And I think there's such an important element here of obviously bringing families on board, getting them on board with what you're doing, but being so mindful of where they're coming from. Um, So you were talking a little bit about how some of that freedom and sometimes play results in, you know, the scrapes and the bruises and the falls and those kinds of things. And knowing that some of our families are coming to us in a place in their life where they're going to be so heavily criticized and judged and could genuinely face consequences. I mean, my God, if there's some really atrocious custody battle or a family uh-huh. has some kind of child services record and they can't document it, you know, if we see something happen, it's, oh, it's play, you know, he drifted he fell. We can't document it. The parent can't document someone who surely means well, but is in a position of significant power, uh-huh. sees some kind of unexplained pain. We need to really be cognizant of how we're serving those families mm-hmm. and the children in in their highest and best interest yeah. as well,
0: right. That's a I mean, that's a really good point that I hadn't thought about. Um, but that's a, that's one of those situations where we come up with a reason that we need to consider something we really need to consider when we're making these decisions, say, oh, someone might be in that situation and, harm would come because the child got a scratch or whatever so we don't say well then no children get opportunities to make to get scratched ever we say okay so what can we do yeah to support that family um, if we know about it we don't always know about it so then okay what do we do to support any family who might be in that kind of a
1: situation
0: and still maintain
1: this there's also interesting cultural ideas around play too and what play should look like um given a cultural background and and culture can be everything from inner city urban all the way to a rural farm right and they or just this specific household right (laughs) it has it may not have anything to do with coming from another place in the globe it Mm -hmm. it can just be about um where your house is what you have access to things like that and to I love that you brought up families, Liz, because mm-hmm. that is such an important piece to make sure that we're including um in our our community, right? Um what what do you want for your child? How can I support this? How can I um, provide them with opportunities for freedom and liberation where they can truly explore who they are, what they're interested in. Um they can demonstrate what they know. Um, and I can still say what you are bringing to us is valuable as well. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure mm-hmm. that it's considered and supported. Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, So I don't want to, I don't want to veer off families yet. I want to stick with this idea of, of trying to make sure they're included in our, our consideration and our, whatever our philosophy might be and in our practices. Um, do you have, I don't know. Do we have, can we come up with some specific examples of ways that might happen or what kinds of things, what kinds of of new considerations might come to us that we would have to think through? I mean, Liz, the one you just shared where there might be a custody or a, Protection situation so we want to consider that um, when we're when we're watching our children and, and setting things up for them to play. Um, I don't know, Rixa. Is this a, a, a part where you feel like it would it would fit to go down? Uh, what we talked about before we hit record when you were talking about um, taking play into, um, you know, people talking about taking play into under resourced
1: families I- or neighborhoods. That's sort of what, when you asked that question, what sort of yeah. popped for me. Um, I I think it's really important that when we are talking about play and access to play to kind of center is that children can play. Mm-hmm. Children can find joy in a puddle on a street corner. I've seen children have the coolest best playground equipment in the world uh 20 feet over and spend 45 minutes instead playing in the puddle that formed after the sprinkler shut off for the lawn you know mm-hmm. and and not have any interest in, in that thousand dollar play equipment and so what that says to me is like we don't have to to Align every space in every town or every city with our vision of what play should be, that mm-hmm. when we're talking about families and giving children access to um play opportunities and things like that, it's really about listening to what they say will work for them. Mm-hmm. Or that's valuable to them, right? right. And it's—I'm sorry—it could be something just so simple. That- yeah,
0: and I, you know, we talk, we hear, and we talk a lot about um, equity, right? We, and this is sort of what we're what people are thinking when they talk about taking play into these neighborhoods that are, you know, we have all the the euphemisms and the the labels that we give low income, under resourced, underprivileged, at risk. You know, all those those qualifiers that we put on this um in a good intention of making sure children have access to play you know making sure that they have equitable access to play but in doing so so often we send the message that oh the ways you're playing already don't belong in this idea don't belong with our they don't fit our idea so we want to we want to bring you equity but it's going to be our idea of equity <laughs> like it's going to be our definition
1: yes Hashtag 100 uh, <laughs> percent Liz, what are your thoughts? Oh, I don't know. I feel like you
2: all just phrased it so perfectly that I could add anything yeah. good here, but I'll keep listening and I'll add them again.
0: I, <laughs> I just we all I feel like I always need to stop, Liz, because you're so um Patient with everyone else when typically the other co-hosts are talking over each other, trying to get their points to, across. So I just always want to make sure I stop and and, and give <laughs> the, the opportunity to jump in.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I I would. I'm thinking. I just remembered this. I'm um, about five years ago. We went to Hawaii for a swimming for our daughter in the middle of the summer. um and we stayed out on Eva Beach, which is a moderate income neighborhood on Oahu. Um we had a little beach cottage Airbnb that we rented out there. And it was right in the heart of there were native Hawaiians, there were military. It was just really a like a local community. Mm-hmm. And the beach wasn't fancy. It was just it was really just sand, mm-hmm. palm trees and then houses and um after um school would get out every day we um we if we were down on the beach all the local kids would come down there with their boogie boards mm-hmm. and it was clear to me in about 2 seconds that those children had been in the water literally since birth right they were so at home in that space there was no playground there there was no Pretty bus stops. There was no, it was just like some beach grass, some sand, some old um military bunkers that had largely kind of fallen apart, and these kids in their boogie boards. <laughs> and they were out there for hours, and they would practice tricks they would flip, they would see how many times they could go up on the beach and have the waves carry them back out. I don't know if you've ever seen that done, but it's fun to watch There, they ride their boogie board all the way in. And then the wave pulls them back out. And so they would have these contests to see who could do that the most times. (laughs) And the whole time, nothing but joy, Mm -hmm. like laughter and ribbing each other. And these were kids from like, 4 years old up to like 16 or 17. It was it was this huge community span of ages and abilities and the older kids watching out for the little kids. Someone's little brother might have come along and you know their little sister and they just wrapped that person in and and talking in native hawaiian talking in english and native hawaiian mm-hmm. like you know it was all of this like different skill levels, different abilities, and it meshed so seamlessly and with so much joy. And I'm thinking they didn't need something specially built for play to play.
0: Mm-hmm. And way. something being specially built there would have really hampered and 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 snuffed out right. their play, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then so- they. About three hours, four hours later, they all kind of drug in. They had to have been exhausted. Yeah. I mean, and starving at that yeah. point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it comes back, it's coming back
0: to me, uh, for me, to the to the words joy and liberation. Um, you know, I, I I know that as we've been talking, I've been talking about what children might be learning or talking to people about what learning happens in play. But then there's this element for me always of, you know, they just deserve it. They just deserve joy and freedom. And children are, I think, so oppressed most of the time by adult goals and ideas and needs. Um, that what while you were describing all that to me, I was like, that's joy and liberation. That's trust in in children it, it could also be necessity you know maybe maybe the parents aren't home and and they're still working and so the children need to have this place they can go to or whatever but um yeah there's also why wide. i i spend a lot of time um advocating and arguing for the value of play in terms of of learning and development but also god it's just what they're supposed
1: to be able to do <laughs> You know, and it hurts occurs- me. Like- I'm sorry, Liz. Go, Go ahead, Liz. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like what
2: what's that got to me in that child-initiated placing that you just, you know, constructed for us was the contests. And maybe I got hooked on the wrong thing, but this idea of these child-created contests that are just for fun rather than this blanket policy of nothing is a competition or everything mm-hmm. is a competition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the adult-initiated versus child-initiated contests. And the the freedom to say i can go farther than you can which is mm-hmm. just that classic childhood right. experience yes.
0: yes right and the choice to experience. not be part of it if you didn't want to be part of it like a, yeah. I'm just having fun i don't want this to be <laughs> a contest so i'll let you three have your contest and i'll be fine over here myself like
1: just so exactly, much in yeah. that little story and mm-hmm. i was witness there were no adults on the beach mm-hmm. I was there as somebody outside of the context of this entire thing, and I I wonder too is how much we inhibit children from being able to access the space of mm-hmm. of peer of peerness of play, because I think of all the times if a, if an adult had been there they could have said oh nope you're too deep or oh nope that's yeah. too high or you're too young or you know you need to have an adult with you or mm-hmm. whatever it might have been and even more so than i i've been wrestling since the beginning of the pandemic and it goes a little bit more toward guided play or what we think of as guided play outside of a space because I was listening to Peter Gray the other day and he was talking about how play can be so many different kinds of things Mm -hmm. and like you can play basketball and I've been thinking a lot since the pandemic started um, about all of the activities that we have children in with the idea that we want to make sure they learn all the right things and are exposed to the right kind of play and you know this kind of stuff and and those children on the beach that afternoon had no place that their parent was rushing them off to. They had no um, parameters for how or what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. And I bet they went home and the, the, I bet their bodies were totally relaxed. Any cortisol from the day at school or anything like that had totally been processed. So they're now in the most healthiest place that they can be in from a stress and just constant go, go, go perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we should all go boogie boarding <laughs> afternoon in Hawaii on the beach. I don't know, but how much. Well, I don't do want
0: to be in this? the ocean, but I'll, I'll watch the boogie boarding.
1: <laughs> I'll laugh and, <laughs> and play from the sand. Here is that, right? Like <laughs> just that, that, that ability to, to just be in a place without yeah. it expectations yeah other than the ones they impose on themselves right and
0: and so just you know you brought cortisol into this now and the idea that um current learning strategies and 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 situations and settings are very stressful for children um some manage it and some aren't able to manage it and the ones who aren't able to manage manage that stress end up with a label or a, a stigma or um ruptured you know disruption disrupted relationships with their teachers and those kinds of things um but, but that just made me think of when we're thinking about guided play the argument is that um if these standards or this learning progress that we have identified as adults doesn't happen then we've got all these scary stories you know they're going to not do as well in school and they're going to end up in prison and they're going to not um you know not go to college and they're going to end up with a low paying you know all these scary scary stories there are scary stories too about what can happen if they don't have these kinds of joyful liberated play experiences but those stories aren't as convincing to people <laughs> i don't understand why um talking about the effects of toxic stress and the anxiety that is created in a lot of our, even for two, three, four year olds in our um, early childhood settings. And, uh, you know, the pressure that that adult goal puts on young children has some some downsides that we might want to avoid too, <laughs> that maybe outweigh how they do on a test in third grade.
2: It feels like the, um... That study several years ago that was really widely broadcast that a effect of Head Start. No, no, no. Fade out. Head Start. Fade out, yes, thank you. And how, well, you know, the third graders don't have these benefits of Head Start by the end of third grade. What does it matter? And, you know, critics were rightfully, I think, saying, okay, but what if we continued the supports instead of taking them away from the start? (laughs) What would that look like? You know, what if we add rather than take away? Yeah. And just this idea of, needing to continue with more and how that's okay and right. we, we need to keep considering the whole child rather than just their test, test mm-hmm. the scores mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. we um i've worked in uh, a preschool um pre-pandemic that supported children who had been kicked out of every other preschool mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think to both of your points is that it's those children came to us so demoralized because they couldn't fit expectations in all these other spaces Mm -hmm. and their behaviors were like oh no 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 I'm gonna hurt you before you can hurt me Mm -hmm. you know I'm gonna hurt you Mm -hmm. before you can tell me that I'm not good enough Mm -hmm. and um I it was during that time I read the book The Body Keeps Score. No oh boy, yeah, and really thinking about how play and liberation and space where you are completely loved and have deep belonging creates a child that is more regulated, has more resilience, is more persistence. All of these things that we want them to mm-hmm. to know. But because of what we're expecting from them are actively eroding from underneath of them and um and and thinking about perhaps children in low income neighborhoods that have access to things like I mean, in Hawaii a local beach, but also like a a spot of grass where they all kind of come and they mm-hmm. play a game of pickup or you know, but it's because it's child directed there's no expectations that they have to meet other than each others and their own like it it allows all of that to process out of their body mm-hmm. um and negates the need for some of those kind of social emotional supports that are incredibly difficult in a group setting right yeah. there are simply not enough hands in a 2 to 20 Preschool classroom, right? There's two teachers trying to do all the things for all the kids and all the oh, here comes my dog. (laughs) dog Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Lisa's dog was on the podcast. We recorded the other day too. It must be, it must be (laughs) the dog's time to shine. (laughs) Um, so so maybe when we're thinking then if we are thinking about equitable access to play in neighborhoods. Um, that we, you know, are the low income, under under resourced, whatever. Maybe instead of um, put imp- imposing our ideas of what play looks like and what it what what our goals are, we just look to see what kind of spaces do they have to do their own things. Because it's it is true that there's not safe spaces everywhere in all the, in all neighborhoods. That could be true out on the farm too. You know, out in rural neighborhoods um real real places so yeah making sure that there's somewhere where they know um that it's their space um that adults maybe aren't chasing them off the sidewalks or out of the grass you know the one grassy spot or whatever maybe is a good goal there you got your dog under
1: control got my dog under control (laughs) He had to tell me that the male the male lady was here. Oh, sure, that is yeah. exciting. I gotta I gotta scan my sector to tell you what's happening. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, sometimes I bark when the mail uh, carrier no, the male comes, just because I think it's funny. We don't have any dogs, but um, I do I mean, still just, bark. Um, so, ahead. I was just going to say maybe um, maybe we need to to wrap this one up since uh, we've got another topic waiting for us when this one's recorded. But what else were, were you wishing, hoping we could talk about, thinking about that you wanted to have part of this conversation? Either one of you. Okay. I can, I here comes Liz.
2: <laughs> Liz. Go ahead. <laughs> so I was, the first time I heard this, I was really drawn to this idea of confidence through freedom and love and uh-huh. So what my mind immediately jumped to, and I think just because I've been talking about it a lot lately, (laughs) is this idea of the confidence needed to process shame or embarrassment or, you know, anger or sadness Mm -hmm. in a healthy way to own, like, ooh, I did mess up there, and also be able to bounce back. And I think that's so crucial to so much play Mm -hmm. because in dramatic play, or in a game or in a sport, you know, you're going to fall outside those rules, you know, mm-hmm. at some point, every child is going to have that moment of fall outside the social norm there <laughs> and being able to have that community be a citizen in that community where, yep, we all do it. That's okay. You mm-hmm. learned, and now you're getting back into it. Right. Yeah. Instead of this, the the shame that just piles on and adds on that you can't recover from. Yeah. That is present in this spaces that are so tightly controlled and mm-hmm. so
1: built on this deficit model.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think mine is really close to that in that children, our children know where matter where they are from and that they come with capability and agency and ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know things already. And we need to consider that, and also they're curious about things, and that needs to be part of it too. And it's not always going to match an outcome, and that's okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, that's. I used to have. I used to work with someone who, anytime I talked about play, she would be like, "But play with a purpose. Like just stick it in sideways in the conversation." Ah. No, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about play with a child's purpose, maybe but not uh, not play with my purpose. Um, it was just so funny the way it just always, it was like a comic almost would just, a, her little face would pop in and play with the purpose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this was a really good conversation. Um, I feel like uh, we could go on and on, which is why I'm explicitly shutting this one down. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a stopping point, um, but this was great. Thank you both for being here. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.
2: Oh.